0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father, and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Vian. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to be here tonight and to share the word with you. And I just want to encourage some of us, you know, as we as we worship and certain things are happening. You know, it's crazy sometimes. Like we've said it a couple of times, how in a moment like that, many people just so tangibly experience God's presence and so aware of what God is busy doing, and you know, just don't want the moment to stop. And then there's someone else thinking, "Man, I mean, we've we've sung it already, and then we sung it again. No derde keer. Really, a third time." and you're just a bit disconnected and you're trying, but you're just not getting that focus on God. And you keep just getting distracted. And I just want to encourage you, that thing that keeps popping up in your head. You know, many times when we think we should be still and focus on God, but there's this thing that keeps popping up. We try and press it down, you know, to try and kind of forget about it. But scripture says that's not what we're supposed to do with stuff. We're supposed to pray about Everything. Yeah, by prayer and supplication, make your request and pray about it. And take the time, be intentional, go sit somewhere. And as these things continue to pop up, take your time and pray through it. Otherwise, it's still going to pop up. It's not popping up for no reason. It's the reason why that thing keeps popping up. So deal with that and take that to God. Otherwise, we'll continue to be distracted. And not to focus on God. Many times it's a worry, it's an anxiety. Sometimes it's a thing that God wants you to focus on. Many times it's a specific thing that God maybe wants you to do. Other times it's just uh, stress. You're wondering about this thing. And how is it going to play out? How is it going to work out? And to take that to God and allow God to to deal with that. Amen? So that's the pre-sermon. Let me pray for us. And then we get into the real sermon. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can... Be here tonight, Father. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, Father. And thank you, Lord, for an open door, standing before you, Father, by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, Lord. All of us can enter, Lord. All of us can know you, Father. And not just in theory, Lord, not stories about you, Father, but experience a real and intimate relationship with you. Not waiting for one day, Lord. Yes, one day face-to-face, Lord, but now in reality, in truth, to know you. Not fully, Father, but truly, to truly know you. For you cannot be fully known, Lord. You are incomprehensible. But to truly know, Lord, and experience your goodness now. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here leading and guiding, Lord. It's not something that we need to struggle to attain. It's not a fighting for, but it's a surrendering, Lord, that needs to take place. I pray, Lord, for each and every heart, Lord, that's busy struggling with something, Lord, or struggling to know you. May we simply surrender, Father. Say, come and have your way, Lord. Your burden is light and your yoke is easy. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. So our title for tonight is called and sent. Called and sent. Last week with Convergence, with a global show for coming together, it was also the title of Convergence, called and sent. And then specifically at the end, there was a, a call made for all of those who felt called to plant churches, to say, here I am, Lord, send me, use me to plant a church. And no, 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 I just have to ask us tonight as we're sitting here, if there was a list now here with the title being Church Planters, and there's a call to go and sign up your name if you think that this is something that you might want to do or might feel God laying on your heart or might feel able to do, would you go and write your name on the list? And then for some of us thinking, yeah, that, that sounds exciting. Some think maybe, I'm not quite sure. Some of you think there's no way. Never. Never, ever. And many times it's simply because our definition of what it is to plant a church or what a, ch- a church is, is not really biblical. don't mean it like in a bad way, but <laughs> skewed a little bit. Many times when we think church planting, we think, okay, I'm supposed to be called into the full-time ministry now. The people are going to call me pastor. And every time I enter someone's house, there's some of other worship song going to play in the, the back. The fine china is going to be dished out, you know. You're going to sit in that sitcomer that that nobody's allowed to go into. <laughs> And there needs to be a building and a band that place, but that is what the church does. And it's many times how it looks like when we worship God or when we disciple one another. But that's not what the church is. The church is a body of believers coming together. And even when we're not together, we are still the church. So to plant a church, to form a church, it's rarely someone in full-time ministry, someone on staff at church that actually plants a church. Just like Shofa Secunda wasn't planted by a guy in full-time ministry. It was planted by a group of engineers that reached out to a group of people that formed a community of believers and then they sent a pastor to come pastor the church already planted and established. So just allow that to just sink in and allow God to stir in your heart with that wherever he sends you, it doesn't call you to name a building something and get branding and, you know, figure out the whole thing. Simply to reach out to people and get a group of believers together that wants to follow God. All of us can do that, amen, wherever God sends us. So just allow that to stay in your heart. And we want to send someone to Ivander, and I'm just making a joke. But if we send you, we'll send you not too far so that we can still help. But called and sent. And today we're going to focus a little bit on that, not specifically church planting, but still this missional focus, the same thing that we started with last week. You know, saying that when we understand who God is, there's this inevitable outflow, as it was in the life of Isaiah in chapter (coughs) 6. We saw in verse 18, saying, Lord, here I am, send me. Preemptive, unconditional. Here I am, Lord, send me. He doesn't know what God is sending him to. He doesn't know where God is sending him to. He doesn't know how long God is going to send him. But simply here I am, Because he understands who God is, and in light of that, who he is, and in light of that, the grace of God, the holy love of God. And we said, you know, one of the things that, the reasons why the church is so passive is because we have forgotten about who our God is. We have become so comfortable with the presence of God, you know. To some extent, we even think that we sacrifice time to spend time with God. That's where we are as a modern church. I mean, think about that. Thinking to yourself tonight, you, you came here to worship the almighty, holy creator of the universe who laid down his life so that we can know him and we think we sacrificing time. I'm giving that holy God a little bit of my time. Man, what a sacrifice. Instead of seeing it as a privilege of knowing this God, entering his presence without dying. Because that is our holy is and based upon Jesus' sacrifice I'm allowed to draw near. And in light of that we say, here we are, Lord, send us. Use us, Father, for whatever reason you want to use us for. And we need to move back to a place where God establishes the fear of God in our hearts. Where we understand who God is. Not only in an informational sense, but in a revelational sense. Where we actually know, where we've experienced Because many times we hear a lot of stories and we listen to a lot of sermons, but we haven't actually experienced, we haven't drawn near to God ourselves. Like Isaiah, he got the revelation because he was at the temple, intentionally seeking God, intentionally drawing near to God. And we are supposed to intentionally draw near to God. And that is kind of the first part of it, but then there's the second aspect. There's always a, a God aspect, understanding who God is, relationship towards God, but then also towards people. Viewing people biblically. Having a love for those around us. We need to understand that as well. But we are all called to make disciples. And there's two aspects to it. There's the why and then there's the how. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture and we'll be busy with it for a couple of weeks looking at firstly the why and then the how. Because I must say, now, if I look at the Western Church, it's more of a why problem than a how problem. Now, there can kind of be a sermon, so now that we know, (laughs) we know now. We know what we are supposed to do. We've heard a lot of sermons. We've sung a lot of songs. We know what it is that we are supposed to do, but there isn't movement that's taking place. And we need to ask ourselves, why? Why aren't we moving? And again, I'm not speaking about all and every single Christian, but is there movement? Is there desire to make disciples, to reach those around us? The intentionality. Who are we praying for? Who are we reaching out? Who are we intentionally drawing near? Who are we discipling? Who are we allowing to disciple us? Like we many times say, just the intentionality. You know, the average Christian is frustrated with his growth. If a survey is done and they ask Christians, hey, how do you feel about your current spiritual growth? I say, no, I'm a little bit frustrated. It doesn't seem like I'm growing. And then the next two questions, okay, in what area do you want to grow and how do you intend on growing in that area? Then Koops, no answer. It's like, okay, now the first one makes sense, eh? It's like just rocking up at the gym and looking at people exercising and walking out and think, yes, that is the hier. Why didn't that work? I watched them do it and why didn't it work for me? And we do that spiritually a lot of the times. We watch people doing spiritual exercise and we wonder why we aren't growing. Amen? Just looking at it, thinking that there's going to be some kind of, you know, magical thing that just flows my way and the next morning, whoops, there it goes. But it takes intentionality, it takes purpose to draw near to God. But we need to know the why and also the how and again it's a very simple thing it's not a complicated thing but it's kind of summed up and we need to ask ourselves the question how do we move between these two points the first one mark 1 verse 17 and the second one Matthew 28 verse 19 to 20 you see tonight we will be in one of these two verses Either there will be an initial call of God calling you to himself, meaning that you have never really known God, you haven't surrendered to God, you've never walked in fellowship with God. You might have heard a lot of things about God, but you've never followed. And then there's the commissioning, the sending out to know what you've experienced, go and proclaim to the world around you. But you'll be in one of these two places. And It's either Mark 1 17 that says, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus saying, follow me and I will make you as I am. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is a fisher of men. And he's saying, if you follow me, I will make you one as well. And the thing that we need to understand tonight is that there is no other call to come to Christ except that one. There's not one that says, follow me and I will make you become whatever you want to be. There's, there's no one that says, follow me and I will make you become as comfortable as possible in this life. There's a come and I will make you as I am. Surrendering to God's purpose. Because like we said, in light of firstly knowing who God is, there's a giving up of our ambition, our dreams, our desires. I lay that down to follow God, but also knowing that I'm following a loving God that didn't create certain passions in me to use it against me. God doesn't do that. He doesn't stir good desires and good things in us, nor to use us in line with those things. But there's a reason why he created us the way he created us, amen? To use that, to fulfill his purposes. But I've laid down, this is the call. So either God is calling you and say, come to me, follow me, but still there. End goal is quite clear. And I will make you become fishes of men. I will form you into something. It's not a passive thing. You're not just going to sit and watch. But there's a transformational journey ahead. And I'm very clear about what I want you to do at the end. To reach people. Or it is at the end of that goal too. Matthew 28, we need to ask, how do we get from Mark 1.17 to Matthew 28.19? It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Jesus giving us this purpose. And one of the things before we dive into the passage that we should realize is that many times, and also there's been a couple of sermons about it, like Maria's sermon on busyness as well, There's no running with Jesus, you know, it's a walking with Jesus, a following Jesus. But a busy lifestyle and a following of Christ are incompatible, they don't go together. And if we are sitting here and you maybe think to yourself, yeah, I know, I understand, I've heard it a couple of times, but I just don't have the capacity, I'm too busy. I don't know where I'm going to fit in the time to be discipled, sit in accountability with someone, read with someone, pray with someone, discuss with someone, and then also reach someone else as well. I don't know where I'm gonna fit that in. And just to logically think about it, you know, if God called us to do something, will he make us too busy to do that? No. The answer is no. God is not gonna call us to do something and then he makes us too busy to do that. God doesn't do that. So if we are too busy, if we don't have the capacity, we should realize that either we are busy with things that we should not be busy with. Or we are not making good use of the time. Scripture says make good use of the time for the days are evil. We're not being good stewards of the time God allocates to us. It needs to be in there. Or we are too busy with stuff. And the one thing that I just want to say to us is that many of us are busy because we are anxious. We don't know, we are uncertain. We're thinking to ourselves, man, I, I need to do that extra thing or that extra thing because who will provide and when the kids come and all of this, it needs to be there. And if you feel like that in the moment, I'm asking you to look around you. You are not alone. God gave his church what we need to survive in this life. Amen. And many times it's as easy as asking. But don't be too busy. Don't miss community because you're trying to care for yourself while the community is there to care for you. And sometimes it's intimidating, sometimes our our pride is not allowing us to say, hey, I need something, or I'm in need of something, or I need help in this area. Just ask. In light of Scripture, all of us at this very moment can ask anyone here for anything because we need something at the moment, some kind of support, some kind of input. Amen? So just ask. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture called the Discipleship Discourse. I'm also gonna show you how it looks like when we take parallel passages and harmonize them. So we're gonna look at a passage in Matthew 9 and 10, Mark 3 and Luke 6. Sounds like a lot of passages, but it's the same story. I don't know if you've ever read a story, especially in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. I remember my brother coming to me when he started to read his Bible. And he said, why did they write three of the same books? What's the reason for that? All of the other books are different. Now, yeah, these three guys come and some write the, uh, write the same thing. Why is that there? The synoptic gospels. And as you'll see, many of them, they focus on many of the same stories, but on a different angle of that same story or something else standing out about that story. God using someone to show a specific thing about that thing and the other one, the other thing. And I don't know if you've ever read through those three gospels and you come across the same story and you're wondering, hey, but the one said this, this one said this, what's going on now? Have you experienced that? Let your little I remember in the beginning it frustrated me a lot. Like what's going on here? Specifically with Jesus' resurrection. You know, the one said they saw the angel first and the one said Jesus appeared to them first. And what's going on here? But when you take the stories and you put them together, then you get a chronological account of what actually happened holistically. A lot of them focusing on different things, but if you put them together, you see the story playing out quite nicely. And we're gonna do that with that specific passage here. So let's read. We only have one screen working a little bit, but let's see how far we can get. Matthew 9 from verse 35, and I'll show you how the other pieces of the puzzle fits in quite nicely. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few." Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers in his harvest, Mark 3:13. And he went up on the mountain, Luke 6, to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God, and when day came he called, Mark 3, to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons, and to heal every disease and every affliction. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John and Philip, and Bartholomew. And Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who they called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Then Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and a large crowd of his disciples were there, along with a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by unclean spirits were healed. The entire crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Beautiful passage. We saw now how they beautifully mix into one another and complement one another. You see, because many times the mistake we make, we focus on a single gospel and we kind of want to get a discipleship model from it. And if you look, for example, at Mark 9 and 10, it's basically Jesus seeing this need, seeing that the people are in this desperate need for people to go out and proclaim the message of the gospel. And Jesus says, listen, guys, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Pray and ask God to send. And then the next chapter, he sends them. There you go. So it kind of looks like, hey, there's a need. We tell people about it, and then we send them and hope they swim. We've done that before. Luckily, some of the people, most of them, they could swim. But that's not the way to do it. We see when we, Mix it together, Jesus intentionally calling his disciples to do something, and each and every time he sets the example. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, and he goes up the mountain, and he spends a night in prayer. And he calls to himself, and he calls them to go and preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to drive out demons, and then he comes down the mountain with them and illustrates how this takes place. He shows them what he calls them to do, and then he sends them out. And we see everything so beautifully in this picture from the why, what is it that set this whole thing into motion, what is it that starts the discipleship discourse, what is the motivation behind it, and then we see how it flows out as well. The why and the how, and tonight we're gonna specifically just look at the why, and again, one of the things we see here, it's not a very difficult or complex thing, and just to also break down that lie, when it comes to reaching people When it comes to making disciples, it's not complex. only thing needed is intentionality. By saying yes to God, Lord, use me. I want to actually do this. And in our Western culture, you know, some of us, we just need to move back to a place of faith because we've actually elevated the reason above faith. I don't know if you've ever said to yourself, yes, I want to go and proclaim the gospel, but I don't know all of the answers. I don't know enough of scripture, I don't know enough of this, or I don't understand the culture well enough. Have you ever experienced that? And when we do that, we're elevating reason above faith. We are saying a good message convinces someone to follow God instead of the gospel being the power of God into salvation and God raising dead men to life again as we just go out in obedience. He's the one that saves. It's not because we are eloquent in our speech. It's not because we know great stories. It's not because we are well versed and we can reason well with the people around us. It's not because we understand the culture as we ought to understand it. It's just simply because in obedience, we are doing what God says and he saves. Amen. Paul said to the Corinthians that I, I, uh, I accepted nothing to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And again, I didn't come to you in eloquent speech, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, in demonstration. We don't need to know a lot of things. We simply need to obey God and allow him to use us. Amen. Just in faith. But it all starts here in verse 35 and 37. Setting it in motion. I love the way it's phrased here as well. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. That's what starts the whole thing. Jesus moved with compassion. And the thing is, why are we as a church many times not moving is because we lack compassion. We lack love. That is the motivating factor. That is what drives us out. You see, as a charismatic movement, many times we pursue the power of God. We pursue gifts and all of that stuff. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we run past love. We want to look nice and we want the power of God because that can save something in my life or heal something in my life or give breakthrough in my life. But when we pursue love, it pushes us out to not only focus on ourselves, but to focus on those around us. A love of compassion. And many times we said we know the strategy, we know what we are supposed to know, we know what we are supposed to say, we know even who to tell it to. But there's no movement because there's no compassion. And one of the things that we should realise that has happened throughout COVID is that the church in general, globally, went like this with their hands closed. And not because of a hearting, not because of an unwillingness to reach the world, simply just because of capacity. Pandemic struck, and all of a sudden, everywhere, people were in need. And we needed to take care of our own people first. By the love we have for one another, the people will know that we are the disciples of God. We take care of one another. And because of capacity, we had to go like this for a while, because there was just such a tremendous need. Not because of an unwillingness to reach out, but just because we had to take care of the people around us first. I mean. But as we were doing that and as you know, culture sets in so quickly and we get used to something so quickly, some people's hands remained like this. And some of our hands went even farther in, away from the world, away from the body of Christ to self-preservation. And if you think about it, it's quite a natural thing to do. In a time of uncertainty, a lot of things happening around us, economic crisis, we don't know what's going to happen, so a lot of people went like this. I'm just going to make sure that me, myself, and my household is sorted, that we are taken care of, that we don't need to worry for a while, that we are as comfortable as possible for a while. And then Scripture says, but that is not how God expects His church to act. We're not called to self-preserve we're called to lay our lives down for the body of Christ and for the world around us. Saying that we need to seek first the king and his kingdom, his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us as well. And then in that passage, that quite a hard statement. Saying that if you worry about the things of this world, you know, what will you eat, drink, wear tomorrow? Unbelievers worry about stuff like that. Just let that sink in for a moment. We need the reality to hit us sometimes. If we spend time and thought and energy on those things, caring about those things, trying to sort out those things, I'm not saying be unwise and just go into life, but if it consumes our time and energy, if we are constantly worried about those things, God says we are thinking like those who do not know him. And again, it maybe comes back to the fact that we have forgotten who God is. You reign above it all, seated alone in glory. Majesty, the one who reigns, God Almighty, that is the king we serve. And in light of that, we don't do this because we know he does that with us. Amen. Mm -hmm. He's the one that enfolds us. He's the one that comforts us. He's the one who cares for us. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes about the ministry of reconciliation that the church received. He says, the day you got saved, you received the ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. That God, through Christ, reconciled the world to himself. The restoration of a friendly relationship. And he says, the motivation is twofold. In verse 11, he says, knowing the fear of God, we persuade men. Again, coming back to that vision of Isaiah seeing God enthroned. Knowing the fear of God, understanding who God is, we persuade men, we obey. But then in verse 14, it says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. Because we understand the gospel. We know that Christ died for us, so that those who live, live for him. The love of Christ controls us. That word is, the Greek word syneka, it means to forcibly and suddenly take hold of. Has that happened before? The love of God coming suddenly, taking hold of you. In worship, while you're reading your Bible, while you're busy praying, and all of a sudden, you just, something moves inside of you. Many times, it's even off topic. You don't know what's busy happening. The love of God, God coming to stir in you. And at those moments, we shouldn't let that things go, but allow God to come and move and shape something inside of us. And you see, the interesting thing is, we many times have the opposite response about what Jesus had here. You see, what do you think Jesus saw when he saw the crowds, the rest and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? What did he see? Because many times we have this picture maybe of you know, poor people or people just walking beaten down, you know, trying to do the right thing, trying to live morally right lives and they just struggle because people oppress them. But Jesus saw people in general. He saw the corruption, the oppression, the violence, the murder. And instead of being outraged, he understood that they know no better. They know no better. And you see, many times we as a church, we look at the corruption and the brokenness around us, and we get frustrated. Why? Because that is causing me Discomfort. That is causing me uncertainty. How dare they? Don't they know any better? And the answer is no, they don't. And the only people that know any better is unwilling to go and tell them the truth because we've closed arms. And instead of praying, Lord, send out people into that brokenness to go and proclaim truth, we look for greener pastures elsewhere. The Western world running away. Because somewhere else it will be more comfortable, man, because this place isn't comfortable. This place isn't good for self-preservation. Instead of seeing that and being moved with compassion, understanding that they know no better. You must have been in like one of those conversations, can you believe it? They stole the money again. Yeah. They didn't. They will continue to do that unless someone goes and proclaims the gospel and a holy God raises dead men to life. That's the only answer. The gospel is the only thing that can bring about change. There is nothing else. You see, many times we move from a church from loving our neighbors to changing our neighbors. Instead of seeing the great commandment, as thou shalt love thy neighbor, we see it as thou must change thy neighbor. It's not what scripture says. And the message we proclaim isn't that a holy God is going to judge the world one day, but yes, he sent his son to save. The, the message we proclaim is be better, try harder, and stop doing that. Placing a greater burden on someone's shoulder that they already cannot carry. The gospel, instead of trying to bring about change in people's lives through willpower, It's not what we are called to proclaim, but the message of the gospel. And if we reflect on our thoughts and the way we view those around us, are we still in a place where we are moved with compassion, understanding that many people know no better? And we are the only ones knowing the truth and we are called to tell them that truth, proclaim that message that can save. And is the message that we are proclaiming one of being better, stop doing that, try harder? Was it the message of grace that our holy God came to save. What are we proclaiming? What are we living out? But here's where we need to be. The love of Christ compelling us to go. You see, scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, we know it. Chapter of love. If we speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love, we are a clinging cymbal, a noisy gong meaning that we are irritating, making a lot of noise. And if we ask the world to define the church, then maybe that's the definition. These irritating and noisy people make a lot of noise, but there's no love, there's no compassion. Amen? If I know all mysteries, if I have faith to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I delivered my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't desire gifts or pursue spiritual gifts. We, we love to quote 1 Corinthians 14, but Paul says desire spiritual gifts. But how does that verse start? Pursue love, desire gifts. In other words, run after love while desiring the gift because if you have the gift but you don't have love, you will just sit there still, having the thing you need to reach the world around you, but there'll be no movement. Because there is no love. And again, as we're reflecting on this, and maybe you're confronted with the fact that you've, d- you've done this, you've, you've closed your arms, you're in a mode of self preservation. Instead of opening up your arms to reach the people around you and the feeling inside of you, okay, now we need to go, we need to move out. That feeling won't last. It's not the answer. The answer isn't to jump away and to go. See, because many times we do this. I remember in some museums, training video about mobilizing your church for missions. Yes, I got so irritated. They say the best way to get people signed up for missions is to play an emotional video about the hurt and the starvation in Africa, and then people will go sign up because we are stirred emotionally. And because they signed up, they will go on that first mission, but it won't be lasting. They always have to be new people because the emotion doesn't seem to wake us up the next morning. Emotion doesn't pull through. Somewhere it fades away. Because we're not supposed to be led by emotion, but God needs to come and change our hearts and give conviction so that what we do is actually lasting, amen? And so the answer is given here by Christ. It's not to run and to try and do all of these things, but the answer is to be like Christ and go up the mountain. And it says in Matthew 9, 38, therefore, because of this, do the following, pray. Earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his field. And he went up the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called to him, Those me desire, and they came to him. Therefore, pray. And this message has come across a couple of times the, next, the last couple of months. Same with the story of Jonah. The church is asleep in the ship while the world is perishing, and the church asking, "What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and pray to your God." And I need to ask us tonight: Have we begun to pray? Have we begun to pray? Have we set time aside intentionally to ask God to send out laborers into His field, or have we heard it again and again and there's still no action? Where are we tonight? Is there movement? Because we need to move, we cannot be satisfied with simply knowing, we need to move. We need to go up the mountain. The question, are you willing to go up the mountain? Just think about it, Jesus could have prayed wherever he was, but he climbed up a mountain. Speaks about an intentionality to set time aside in solitude and spend time with God. To go away from distraction. The question is, are we willing to go up the mountain? Are we willing to set aside time to pray and allow God to come and change our hearts? And maybe now, even in this moment, you know, that that emotion is stirring, but I can promise you it won't be there tomorrow. You need to go to God and allow Him to come and do a deeper work than that. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you sit in church or you listen to a sermon or maybe a song or you read something and there's this willingness, man, I'm going to read my Bible. You better watch out. I'm going to read my Bible. If someone speaks about prayer or whatever, then you're just certain that tomorrow morning, man, and you're envisioning you sitting in that room and smoke coming out of that place as you are praying up a storm. And then tomorrow morning, you wake up and lo and behold, the, the feeling's gone. And the pages turn slower than you thought. And you're one minute into your prayer and you have no idea what to say. Then he's not to rush out of there, but to be still and to ask God to come and do a work. But not to try and do it in our own strength. But to cry out to the one who gives life, to the one who empowers, to the one who gives vision and to the one who convicts. The Lord, come and do a work. And to keep on seeking him until he comes and reveals, until he comes and moves, until he comes and changes. Amen? But we need to go up the mountain. Let's stand and pray. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you tonight, Lord. And for many of us, Father, we we feel, Lord, your hand upon us, Lord. We feel you, Father, calling us to open our, our arms again, Lord. For some of us, Lord, we, in a certain place, Lord, we don't know how to get out. And you are calling us, Lord, to cry out, help. Firstly to you, Lord, but secondly to those around us. Regardless of what it is that we are going through. But this thing that just keeps tripping me up, keeps hindering me. And God is saying, you are not called to fight that thing on your own. And for some of us, Lord, we are so uncertain, Lord. We, we know theoretically that you care, you provide, you take care of, Lord. But we don't really believe. And so we think we should take care of ourselves, Lord. And we are so consumed, so anxious, so worried, Lord, about everything. And for some of us, Lord, we, we haven't stayed on the cross long enough. We haven't died to self completely. And we sit, Lord, fully equipped. We know what we should do. We don't know everything, Lord, but we know enough. And we are called to go out, Lord, make disciples. Plant out small groups. Reach that people at work. But because we haven't stayed on the cross long enough, because we haven't died to self completely, we don't want to face the uncomfortability, Lord. of That uncomfortable moment, that awkward moment of speaking truth. So, you'd rather just leave it. And for some of us, Lord, we are angry and we are irritated with the brokenness of this world, Father. Because in our pride, we think we know better by ourselves, they should know better by themselves. And we have forgotten, Lord. That the only reason why any good thing produces from our lives at any time is because you cause it to come from us, Lord. You are working in us. A holy God. Making dead people alive again. And that is the only solution to the brokenness around us as well. They know no better. And the, the only people that know the truth are unwilling to move. Because we have no compassion. It doesn't matter where we are tonight, Lord. When we move, may we move towards you. May the climb, may the intentionality be to go up the mountain, to spend time with God. Not to run and try and do a lot of things. But to draw near to you, Lord. To the one who gives life, to the one who transforms, to the one who sanctifies, to the one who reigns above it all. I'm going to ask us to move in a moment again. I want us to come to the front or just step to the sides or whatever. but just to take that step of action, to shake off the passivity. But whatever it is that you want to pray for if you want to initially come to God and say, Lord, here I am. I've heard people speak about following you, Lord, or about experiencing your leading or your presence. I've never felt that. I've never heard that. I don't know what that means. If that is you, you need to answer that initial call. Come, follow me. Say, Lord, here I am, Father, I want to follow. For some of us, we need to open up our arms again. For some of us, we need to repent of not trusting God that he is going to provide. For some of us, we need to lay lay aside that extra thickness. For some of us, we need to lay aside laziness, knowing, Lord, that I know what to do. I just, I'm not doing it, Lord. some of us, we need to say, Lord, I'm gonna climb up the mountain again. I'm gonna sit at your feet, Father. And not only for myself, Lord, but to send me into the brokenness. To so whatever it is that you wanna pray about, whatever it is that you wanna lay at God's feet, but let's move in three, two, one. Let's move, either to the front or to the sides. But take that step of action. For some of us, it might feel uncomfortable. There's something that wants to move, but there's a passivity fighting. Just move. But don't just stand. Even it's just that initial step forward. But let's move. And There we are, pray. Say, so yeah, I am. I want to follow. I want to climb up the mountain. Lord, stir something inside of me. But let's pray.